0: Hi everyone, it's Amelia Quint. Welcome to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. As always, this podcast is made possible by our patrons. Our community of mystics is always growing and has been especially lively lately, so come join us for a good time. There's new perks, including forecasts and horoscopes being available in both written and audio format, and more coming next month. Starting in May, horoscopes will be available to our Juno Queen of the Heavens tier and above, so if you want to get my insights on the month ahead, consider taking our relationship to the next level. You'll also have the chance to ask a question about your personal natal chart in the monthly Q&A video, too. Another great way to show your support is by giving the show a positive review on iTunes, so more people will be able to find us. While you're at it, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BadAstrologers2. And finally, who doesn't love a good old-fashioned recommendation? If you love us, tell your friends. Everyone needs some good media to binge right now, right? Speaking of binging your favorite entertainment, let's get into the episode. There are some lovely interviews in the queue for you soon, but since we're all hopefully staying home and sheltering in place, I wanted to talk to you about Netflix. Yes, the streaming service we can't escape. Astrologically, it's actually connected to what we can expect from the summer and the second half of 2020. Plus, this can be our way of self-isolating together. Ahead, I share my thoughts on the astrology of the best and worst quarantine viewing from Tiger King to Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. It's wild, weird, and frankly, totally unnecessary, but I thought you might like it anyways. After all, where else will you hear the Joe Exotic Carol Baskin's feud compared to Hades and Demeter? Probably nowhere. So sit back, relax, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. The first thing that I want to establish in this is that Netflix is a Gemini. Um, the date that I'm using for that is May 29th, 2002 when Netflix went live on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, according to that date, it also has its Mercury and Gemini and the North Node there too. So you're probably saying, Amelia, you've been in quarantine too long. Why does this matter? So this matters because the North Node is actually about to move into Gemini again on May 5th, and Venus is already there for a four-month stay, including her retrograde. So what better time to dig into some of the streaming services' biggest sensations and pretend like everything won't be the worst forever, right? Um, The thing is, as far as Gemini goes, Netflix has completely changed the way we relate to one another. You know, we Netflix and chill. We binge watch, and hell, even the word Netflix is a verb now. And that's where Gemini comes in. You know, like Gemini, Netflix is the way we communicate and connect, embodied in, like, some streaming service that got out of control. Um, I think that in the same way, especially during the Venus retrograde period from uh, between May and June, we're going to, because of the circumstances, have to completely redefine the way we connect and communicate with each other um i'm excited for it uh, as i'll discuss in my opinions on another uh very exciting show later on um you know i think that venus and gemini is fun i think gemini energy is playful by nature so it's something to distract us from all the capricorn heaviness and ultimately aquarius heaviness because aquarius is saturn ruled as well um And just keep us going keep us laughing Gemini has this incredible sense of humor and yeah it it can be your fuel that maybe distracts you or keep your mind off things all right so it's time to talk about the astrology of Tiger King Um, I should also say uh, in this podcast I'm going to talk about Tiger King the Witcher Um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and Miss Americana, the Taylor Swift documentary. (laughs) Um, I have all kinds of opinions that definitely include spoilers, so if you haven't um, watched them yet and you don't want spoilers, now would be a good time to go and watch those things and come back. Um, All right, let the spoilers begin. (laughs) So, last night when... My husband and I were social distance, socializing with our neighbors from the requisite uh, six feet away. Um, somebody asked me if I thought Netflix planned... Tiger King for the quarantine, or whether the stars just aligned at the perfect moment. Um, they don't actually know. I'm an astrologer, so that was a funny thing of them to say. Um, but it's a question that tons of people have asked me, and the answer is that yes, the stars literally aligned to make Tiger King the phenomenon that it was and is. And if you haven't watched it, it truly is. I don't even know how to describe it. It's the most bananas thing that I've ever watched on a screen. Um, But, you know, we'll get into the reasons why it is problematic, narratively fascinating, and just deeply fucked up um but as far as the moment that brought us tiger king cuz i think everybody wants to know um it came out on the equinox the spring equinox in the northern hemisphere which is powerful anyways you know um not necessarily in astrology but in for magical practitioners those days are believed to have a lot of you know power to draw on and as we'll see with some of the other netflix releases um I don't know whether they have like a staff witch or astrologer. Netflix, if you don't have a staff witch or astrologer, I will make myself available. <laughs> um, but they they have this incredible timing for moments that are just um, stacked with planetary goodness and always just seem to be right. Um, so the Tiger King release, yeah, March 20th. It was basically the last moment when all those planets we've been talking about were stacked up in Capricorn at once. So that's Mars, Jupiter, Saturn and Pluto, Um, all of which are potent like by themselves. And when you have, first of all, four planets in the same sign at once, that's a lot. And then when you have that many um, outer planets or, you know, Pluto, one of the invisible planets, kind of agitating things and um, making things feel more intense, um, that can really ratchet things up for sure. So the way Pluto works in an event chart, the action that it kind of takes, is one of gravity, of just pulling people in. So together with Jupiter, um, which is good luck, good fortune, expanding, right? Um, Mars being energy and excitement. And Saturn being, I mean, honestly, I think it was a great business decision for them. The ethics, questionable. But um, if you add those things all together, it makes sense that it ultimately became what it is. Um, Full disclosure, when I went to watch it, I only got like halfway through the first episode. And I was really kind of upset um, that I should put a trigger warning here. We'll obviously be talking about um, animal abuse and other Um, traumatic situations, so be aware. Um, I only made it halfway through because I was so concerned about the conditions that they were uh, showing, and I was also just concerned about these people. Like, how did they get so tied up in this? Like, how are their lives so visible? Um, And then... I heard about the feud with Carol Baskin's and I got fascinated and I started watching it and it was like an all in one day experience. I had to know what the hell was going on with these two. Um, these two being Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin. Um, the uh, feuding. Uh, leaders of their own sort of what like tiger colonies all very strange and it's only going to get weirder from here folks um being the astrologer that i am my first thought was like what what do these people have in their charts that um could potentially cause them to behave in this very wild kind of way um, so we'll talk about Joe Exotic first. So I put this on Twitter. So Joe Exotic has his son and Jupiter in Pisces. And I didn't mention this there, but he also has Chiron um, conjuncting them both. So this matters because Jupiter is the traditional ruler of Pisces. So technically, he's a Jupiter-dominant guy. And um, as we have established on the show, as far as Jupiter goes... Um, and Pisces, they're both lovely energies that can go totally wild. Um, I think here, it's a very much a contradiction. And like, watching his behavior, that is a contradiction too. Like, it is true that he, you know, made dinner for his whole community and provided people with a place to work and a place to stay. It's also true that he had them living in the literal worst conditions, conducting animal abuses, and used the money from putting on that dinner to fund a hit. I mean, oh, wow. I don't even... But that is Pisces in a nutshell. Like, that paradox of, you know, on the high side, Pisces cares. Like, that that should be the Pisces motto if it's not. It's like, Pisces cares so much about, about the world um, about animals, about nature, they want to heal, they want to help, and especially with Chiron there, I think, um, that's just brought out even more, but unfortunately, I think that on the dark side, Pisces cares, but about themself, you know, and I think that the exaggeration of Jupiter there kind of twists it a little bit, and, you know, Chiron is, it's a little bit of, like, heal thyself with Joe Exotic, right, like, he's, codependent with the people in his life and you know when he himself is wounded and and we all have issues but oh my goodness like the the issues that that they show on that show are just beyond anything um we also have talked about that pisces can be a liar you know pisces on the high side again is very loving very romantic um, lots of sweet talking and making people feel good, but on the bad side, people can use that um, Pisces energy to be very charming and win people over, and it seems like, you know, people got caught up in the hype of this, this man with this very, you know, honestly, a lot of charisma, um, or else we wouldn't be uh, sitting here talking about it right now. Um, in addition, I thought it was super interesting that he has a grand water trine, um, with that sun and Jupiter, um, also with his moon and cancer and Neptune and Scorpio. So water trines are, again, the emphasis on emotions and healing and love and care. Um, but I think that the, you know, the moon and cancer, I love moon and cancer people. I think they're wonderful. Um, But I think that they can sometimes become, because they're so focused on home and safety, they can become territorial. And I think that Neptune and Scorpio kind of enhances that feeling of paranoia, and it just got completely uh, off the rails, out of control, right? Um, Neptune and Scorpio at its worst can be, if you think about the keywords for both, secrets and lies, you know, scandal, death, or even as the show's subtitle says, murder, madness, and mayhem. Like, um, it was actually kind of incredible to look at these charts and say, like, the astrology of this is just so literal, you know, there's no way I could have made up a chart for, you know, these individuals that is, you know, remotely as spot on as the truth. Um, I think, you know, I was trying to figure out where the big cat thing comes in, but um, pretty much everybody I'm about to talk about has some sort of um, Leo situation going on. So are we really surprised that Leo is highly present in the charts of big cat caretakers or, uh, you know, people who imprison big cats, depending on how you're looking at it? Definitely not. Um, for Joe Exotic, he has his Mars retrograde in Leo, um, and this like real tricky T square with Venus and Aquarius and also Neptune and Scorpio. So, um, Venus and Neptune, again, so much charisma, very romantic, but is not necessarily connected to reality and is definitely willing to bring people into their fantasy world and you know, when it all starts crashing down, take no responsibility for it. Um, Mars retrograde is an interesting thing to look at in a chart, too, Um, because people with Mars retrograde, if they don't really work on the energy of, you know, Mars's action, motivation, it can turn to violence or aggression. And I think that's what's happened here um, you know, instead of finding a healthy channel for it, um, that sort of, it became this sort of performative with Leo, um, yeah, this performance of violence, of, like, saying all these wild things about, um, Carole Baskins, or, you know, like, the weird things he put on his channel of the, like, very, very open threats, um, just really kind of frightening stuff, but... Does that mean if you have Mars retrograde in your chart or does that mean that Mars retrograde later this year is going to lead all of us to have a hit put on on us? Most definitely not. Um, I think more likely it, it points to somebody who just needs to spend more time getting clear on what your goals and motivations are and maybe needs to shift them more often. Um, as someone who need, has a lot of spiritual work to do internally before finding your way in the external world. But um, I mean... What a man to have Mars retrograde in Leo. I mean, having a colossally fucked up uh, private zoo, I guess that's <laughs> not what I would have picked as the first interpretation looking at a chart, but it's definitely there. So, um, And also, Joe Exotic has Uranus conjunct Pluto in Virgo opposing his son Jupiter situation and that just dials up the unpredictability and the desire to control at any cost but under the guise of service right like I feel like it's this very um, not combustible but very very, uh, volatile and a little bit scary at times energy and in Virgo um, it is about you know it's using martyrdom or I'm going to be a caretaker as a way to shield oneself from the actual like attempts at control that are going on. I don't know. There's a lot because there's so much footage. That was the thing that struck me about Tiger King is like there's just so much footage and so much time that has elapsed with these people that when you watch this show, you really feel like you, you become very emotionally involved in their lives. Um, or there, there's just so much to watch play out. Like usually, unless it's a fictional tale, we, we don't get to see this and things unfold over years and years. Um, but it does make a very interesting (laughs) astrology study to say, okay, you know, What is this person's story and how has that played out? Not just in one flash in the pan, but in all of these moments that are so heightened and so dramatic that it really gives you, um, someone to look at for sure. So, moving on to Carol Baskin. This woman, I don't, mm, I don't know. Um, obviously the documentary leaves it very ambiguous about, um, What she did and didn't do i think we don't have enough information to say for sure and i think her chart is just as ambiguous um it's very mutable um she's a gemini and to me her superpower is spin i mean that's the gemini superpower for all of the gemini's that we like to like put on the pedestal as being like the worst trademark um like Donald Trump or Kanye West um but you know unfortunately like she is she is a good communicator like she's created this narrative about herself a story that she tells that is enticing to her millions of followers right they they believe it and you know I think that is up to the viewer to decide what you believe and don't believe about it um Back to the Leo situation with the big cat. So she has her Mars, Uranus, and Lilith conjunct in Leo, which is like big cat lady energy. Um, interestingly, so, you know, Joe Exotic has his Mars and Leo retrograde. Hers being with Uranus and Lilith is just like this incredibly combustible, unpredictable, completely unable to be contained um, persona that is just you know, it's interesting that Lilith is seen as sort of the devouring woman, um, the woman who's dangerous, who can't be trusted, and then obviously Mars is, is violence, and Uranus is, you know, unexpected things, so occasionally when you're looking at a chart that could be murder, so like, I think that she's very aware of, of herself, of her life experiences and how she's portraying them right and for her just as much as for Joe Exotic it's a total performance it's all a performance and I'm not saying that you know performers of all kinds whether it's actors or musicians even if they're putting on a show the way you put on a good show is you have to believe it in that moment and I think that they really do um as out there as it seems so carol baskin is also really close to having a fixed grant cross in her chart which i think really puts her into perspective a lot it makes sense given how much she really like digs in her heels on everything in that super fixed kind of way And the fixed cross people that I've known in my life, they have this kind of knack for luxury um, to the point that it can go, that desire for comfort can go overboard. You know, it really, really ground my gears watching the sort of, and you know, she was very smart. They didn't show all of her uh, tiger preserve or big cat preserve. Um, But what we did see, it kind of felt like okay, well, you're complaining about Joe Exotic, but it looks like your tigers are in cages too, lady. Um, whereas, you know, she was sitting sipping champagne in her, you know, nice house. And, you know, I, I think that people should be able to have all the nice things that they want, but, you know, don't lie about it. Like, don't misrepresent that. And I think that's where things get really tricky. And I think the with the fixed cross, it can be hard to if you aren't self-aware and understanding about that desire within yourself, it can like leak out in really weird ways. And you can constantly, you know, it's made out of two oppositions creating a ton of squares in your chart, which is like very tense and um, paradoxical energy. And so I think she kind of carries that within her. Um, Speaking of paradoxes, um, I've got a ton of questions from the uh, Bad Astrology's Patreon about yods, and two of the people uh, in the Joe Exotic world have yods. One of them is Carol Baskin. So if you're new to astrology and you're listening to this and you're like, what, what is Amelia talking about? Um, so in a natal chart, there are different patterns that the the center of your natal chart can make. There's a triangle um, made out of multiple trines called a grand trine. You know, there's a, a cross, um, which is two oppositions intersecting each other. Um, but the Yod is super, super interesting because it's it's a long triangle that's like pointed um, outwards. And it, Yod means finger of God in Hebrew. It's one of the Hebrew letters. And um, it's made out of a sextile and two quincunxes. And the energy is supposed to be that of having, like, a very particular fate. Like, you are supposed to do, like, something very important in your life or, you know, depending on what your beliefs are. I, I You know, a lot of the literature on yods that I've tried to find is, like, very... It feels a little deterministic for me. Like, I'm not sure that I believe um, in... Like, everybody has a specific fate and destiny. Like, we all have free will. Um, But I think it is someone who's very driven, um, who feels that they have a strong purpose and is going to seek it out at all costs. Um, And the sextile part of that, sextiles are very harmonious. They open up opportunities. So, like, you have the opportunity to do that. But quincunxes are, I think of them as, like, dissonance in music. Um, so there, there's something dissonant about your life, some challenges you're going to have to overcome to get there. Um, so let's use Carol Baskins as an example. Um, she has a god with Pluto, conjuncture north node in Virgo, sextile Mercury in Cancer, with Jupiter in Aquarius at the apex. So this is very, very interesting to me. Um, obviously... Virgo and Cancer are both a ton about caretaking. Um, But with Pluto and Mercury there, I think she is very controlled in how she communicates the way that she is being of service and taking care of her animals, right? Like, it's all, you know, Mercury and Pluto together has secrets. Um, So I think that... You know, if that's the base, if you look at a chart, that would form the base of the, the skinny uh, base of the triangle. Um, the base of her life is these secrets about her family, about who she did and didn't murder, about the way she takes care of her cats. And it ultimately leads her to Jupiter and Aquarius, which, you know, Jupiter is freedom, expansion. Um, it can be wealth. Um, and in Aquarius, it's just complete and total um, license to do whatever the hell you want, right? Like Aquarius is, and also be as weird as you want. Aquarius is the most out there of the science, and I say that in the most complimentary way, and so I think that having experienced whatever kind of strangeness and secrets and, you know, built up this sort of glamour in the magical sense about um, the way she looks after her animals um, and the way she sort of fought her family, um it's kind of catapulted her to be exactly where she wants to be which is just completely free to do whatever and like let her uh, her lilith and leo roar so to speak <laughs> also i noticed she has her venus dominant in taurus um, right there with Ceres and Vesta, who we also have another um, episode about, uh, both of which are about motherhood and service. It's like those two things just keep coming up. Um, but I think all of that gives her serious overbearing mother and also martyr energy, um, you know. And Venus is—I <sighs> don't want to say Venus is always driven by luxury and comfort, but she kind of is, and like that's a—that is a good thing for her. Um, so I don't know. Maybe Carol Baskin's just living her best life, and we're all overly suspicious. But given the way our chart is set up, I don't think we'll ever know for sure. And that kind of sucks because I'd like to. <laughs> so, let's talk about the way Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin's charts intersect each other because this blew my mind. Like immediately I thought, I have to look and see what their sinistry is because this is the biggest feud and just the freaking strangest thing I've ever seen. Um, So, Joe Exotic's sun is conjunct Carol Baskin's moon, which is wild, right? These two could be soulmates. And in a way, they are because their lives just like warped and twisted to completely be each about the other. You know, there's hell bent on um, you know, torching the other person on some kind of pyre, I'm not sure. Literally, in the case of the arson, um, who knows where that came from. Um, Joe Exotic's Venus is also on her Saturn, so this is a struggle between them, which is that it's heart-related to worth, And feeling like there's not enough to go around, you know. Um, Venus is very... Venus and Saturn together both have strong relationships to value and self-confidence. And I think these two... It's like a Highlander thing. Like, there can only be one. um, Because they both have such a... They bring out on each other this pain that is, you know that believes that there isn't enough um when i it seems like there is it seems like there's freaking tigers everywhere and people willing to pay to pet them which is just disgusting but um it is what it is um also so joe exotics pluto is on her Ceres, which is very intriguing so Ceres, obviously is uh, associated with the greek Demeter. she was that was the roman name for the same goddess um, of, of grain and nurturing and motherhood, and obviously she was the one whose daughter Persephone was stolen away by uh, Pluto, a.k.a. Hades, taken down to the underworld. Um, now we have seasons. <laughs> you get the idea. Um, it's very Eleusinian mysteries. Um, you know, I think that these two had a similar sort of completely impossible feud. You know, I think about Demeter... The way she tore her hair and and ran across across the world causing it to go you know barren as she she searched for her daughter um all the while you know pluto's just down on the underworld hanging out with her daughter you know i'm not trying to i'm definitely not trying to paint carol back baskins as some kind of victim i'm more pointing out that these two points in an astrology chart they can bring out a really toxic relationship dynamic um that is related to that um feeling that you just can't come to a compromise so very interesting um also a feud between a gemini and a pisces is like the most toxic combination (laughs) because for both the truth is a very fluid thing you know gemini knows exactly how to spin the story in their favor and pisces has like it's not that they don't hold the truth in high regard it's more that they can hold multiple possibilities in their their mind and in their life at once and so if you were to say hey that's not how that happened they would be like well of course it is and I think that is the show in a nutshell um that's exactly what we see is that dynamic playing out over and over again Um, finally, and very briefly, I would be in remiss if I moved off the topic of Tiger King without talking about Doc Antle, um, and his Myrtle Beach, uh, private zoo. I was particularly fascinated by this because obviously I'm from South Carolina, I've been to Myrtle Beach zillions of times. It's the butt of many, many jokes. I don't know if anyone's seen Archer. It comes up a lot. Um, and so having been there, I'd seen signs for the the private zoo and I was like, I don't know. It always gave me creepy vibes, right? And then watching this, I, I'm i sad to say that I was disturbed, but I was not shocked that this was the way things were. Honestly, it seemed like um, just how things are. And honestly, if you're from Little Beach, this is not a takedown of you. I know you're probably laughing with me right now. <laughs> Um, so watching this with my husband, I commented early on, like at the very beginning of the second episode, about Doc Antle, um, that he seems like the type of guy who would have basement wives, and lo and behold, he has like four or five of them, um, just, they just line up to, to do this, so if you're uh, somewhat new or haven't watched all the episodes, Doc Antle is the sort of ancillary figure in the he's another person who just keeps tigers um but yeah he has like he practices polygamy and has all these relationships with these young women it seems it's it's a cult it's very strange it's quite sad um but uh, it's just very gross so when you look at his chart uh he's got the sun and mercury retrograde in pisces we see Pisces coming up again in the worst light. I'm so sorry, Pisces. I feel like I'm just tearing you down. I'll have to do a really nice Pisces episode sometime soon. But yeah, I mean, Pisces on the lowest end can be a compulsive liar or like cult leader extraordinaire. Because Pisces is associated with um, spirituality and, um, you know, opening up to... Other forms of understanding the soul that are not mainstream, but like, I don't know, maybe like borderline human trafficking ain't it. It really ain't it. Um, I did notice, speaking of the all the wives, he does have his Mars conjunct Magdalena. So which which I talked about in the uh, asteroid magic episodes. So make sure you check that out. So he's always looking for a scarlet woman, y'all. It's totally creepy. And Mars is a malefic. So like, I have to say that I think that in his case, this has kind of gotten twisted. Not kind of, definitely gotten twisted. Um, also, speaking of Yods, he has a Yod too. So his Mercury, Retrograde, in Pisces is sextile his Saturn in Capricorn with Uranus and Leo at the apex. So it's like, I don't know. Being a big cat weirdo really is his calling, um, and and sitting on a throne of lies and you know overly capitalistic and harsh uh, desires. Um, it's it's awful. I don't have a really great way to wrap up the segment on the Tiger King, except to say that um, astrology is real. And you look no further than Tiger King to to see that and um, watch it just to, you know, understand the phenomenon. And hopefully, I think this is a practice in empathy. If the sign of Pisces can teach us anything, it is about empathizing with other people no matter what, like in an unconditional kind of way. And I think that the show will challenge you to find your own limits of empathy um, and also learn about just other people trying to do their best to practice theirs okay so moving on y'all know that i wouldn't do a netflix episode without talking about the witcher Um, I've been obsessed, I've, like, constantly brought it up in every conversation where no one wants to hear about it, uh, but the astrology of Behind the Witcher is really fascinating, too, and it's very, very much linked to, um, the Venus retrograde that we're about to experience next month, so stay with me. Um, so The Witcher was released last year on December 20th, um, which is the day before the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere. So similar to Tiger King, it had um, that sort of cosmic boost to push it out into the world. Um, The sun was also conjunct Jupiter that day, which is an amazing sign for success. And I think The Witcher and Tiger King have been Netflix's most streamed shows of all time. Um, I know that... um, when I have researched this in the past, that is true. It could have surpassed it in the last day or so, um, but they have broken all the Netflix records and really stood out from the pack. Um, I think the fact that this came out the day before this, um, the winter solstice, and is actually a Sagittarius as opposed to a Capricorn, works so much better because, with Sagittarius, you get that kind of optimistic playfulness and adventurous spirit, um, which for a, fant- a fantasy franchise like you just you can't do better than that. That's exactly what you need. Um, I think that The Witcher really took off with the Capricorn lunar eclipse on December twenty sixth of last last year, um, which. I was obsessed with because it had literally no negative, I'm doing air quotes, negative aspects. So no oppositions, no squares. Um, It was all sex styles, um, trines and conjunctions. Um, And so it was just this like holiday gift from the universe. And I remember watching The Witcher, it felt that way to me. Um, Those of us who are in our early 30s and came of age with Lord of the Rings, I mean, if you had told me that 15 years later, me and my friends would still be talking about some guy in a long blonde wig, like, I wouldn't have believed it. It's, you know, (laughs) obviously that's silly, but this is one of the most visually stunning, um, beautifully constructed shows that I've seen in ages, and it is self-aware, and it's funny, and it's just it transports you, I just can't say enough good things about it, you know, I, uh, there's one part in uh, an episode where the bard, who is everyone's favorite, he says, like, there I go, delivering exposition again, um, and so I think that kind of, like, snarky self-awareness is very sagittarius and just very fun, it's what makes you fall in love with the show itself, um, But obviously, I went and looked up the actors, the two main actors charts to see um, what could possibly cause their chemistry to be so intense and just more about them as people. And it seems like The Witcher is like the Venus in Gemini show, which we need to know about because Venus is in Gemini now. Um, And then the retrograde will be from May 13th to June 25th. So Geralt the Witcher himself, um, Henry Cavill, who plays him, has his Venus and Gemini conjunct the North Node, and so, uh, I think it really shines through in his character, like, his catchphrase is fuck, which is, like, very Venus and Gemini, um, they just swear a lot and are always joking, have a, a knack for comedic timing, um, and, yeah, it's just very, very smart, very clever, um, but I think what makes that even more interesting is, uh, Anya Chalotra, who plays Yennefer, if, if the birth time is correct, or the, the birthday is correct, um, she has her own Venus in Gemini alongside her Mars, which is conjunct his, so Venus and Mars is, like, the ultimate in science history. If you're looking at the chart of two people who are going to be in some kind of romantic relationship, or have to portray a romantic relationship, that is, I mean, it does not get better than that. It's kind of this indelible mark that says, yeah, like, these two have chemistry of a very palpable kind. And I think that definitely shows through in the show. I just, I absolutely love it. Um, but the chaos of the relationship between those two. I know chaos is a big theme of the show itself, um, but particularly the chaos between the two of them and how they fight and they play games with each other and they can't communicate clearly and they just can't get it right, um, but they're just so drawn to each other anyways. I think that's kind of what we can expect during the upcoming Venus retrograde. But in the same way, like it's fun. We love watching it. It looks like they as characters you know they're they're drawn to each other for for a reason um maybe that reason is that somebody made a a wish on an ancient genie to be um stuck to that person forever i don't know maybe this is just a message from the universe to be careful how you word your spells during venus retrograde in gemini um be careful what you text um be careful what you write down um because you never know the kind of weird Um, outcomes that it could have but hopefully it will be as smart and sexy and chaotic in a fun way as the witcher is you know um i also mentioned before i feel like this is kind of (sighs) it, it was very much embodied in the recent um highly neptune influenced mercury retrograde um the there's tons of themes of fate and destiny and where does free will stop and destiny intervene um and i think that was really the lesson that we all learned then and and looking back at at the world um as it is now and and what was actually kind of going down during that time in february i think um we are all asking ourselves that question now you know like what are the limits of free will? What is destiny? Like, what can we actually control? Um, But I think the show does a great job of depicting, um, especially in this Neptune and Pisces world we live in, where things can be a little hazy, like, the way that the disparate threads of life can come together for that perfect moment where you realize, okay, like, this was my destiny, this is where I was supposed to be the whole time, like, I was on the right track the whole time, and there's nothing that could have possibly kept me away from that, and I think that's a very powerful lesson, I think the show is great in that, you know, it, it, in the narrative, it actually asks questions of, you know, like, I think he says, like, destiny is fucking stupid or something, like, Um, And I think as astrologers, it's a useful show to watch. There's a line in the show that, like, it defines everything about how I write horoscopes. Gerald is talking to this um, high and mighty sorcerer guy who uh, I won't go into great detail, but he's not a great person. And he says that um, wizards are all the same. They speak nonsense while making wise and meaningful faces. And he tells them to speak normally. Um, And I just became obsessed with that. I kind of became my... Uh, astrology motto or battle cry. You know, I've seen more and more on Twitter, and and I love it. I think it's good to be with um, colleagues and have professional discussions um, where you get to talk in the lingo and the language of astrology and of what our practice is. But ultimately, I saw somebody post that they were worried that they wouldn't be able to explain the way they felt to someone without astrology. And that made me feel very sad um, because it's our job as as astrologers and mystics and spiritual seekers to be able to translate that for the world, right? Like it's your job to become fluent in astrology so that you can tell other people about it without You know using the astrology words like my friends who don't know astrology if they ask me something i i make a point to tell it to them with as few i'm not going to tell them well venus is in your eighth house and you're in perfection you're in this and that because that means nothing to them it would be like if someone was speaking french to me like i could parse it out because i sort of know spanish and have studied some latin or whatever but like no you know talk to people where they are so um, I think whoever, whoever wrote it, whoever put it together is, is very in tune with uh, magical trends. Um, I obviously just fell head over heels for the uh, mage. They, they have a mage college. They have a wizard battle. Um, but I think that it kind of shows the dramatic goings on that can happen, right, when you get a bunch of mages together. It's just, it's fun, and you'll enjoy it, and I recommend it. And that's all I have to say about The Witcher. <laughs> Tell me what you think. If you have any great Witcher insights, uh, my Twitter is always open and available. Okay, so next. The other night I watched Miss Americana, the Taylor Swift documentary. So confession time. I am a Taylor Swift fan, Um I don't know if I've ever mentioned that on the podcast before. I think I have. But yeah, I think she's an amazing writer and storyteller. Not all her songs. There's definitely uh, some Taylor Swift. So there's a lot of filler on, on a lot of her albums. But, you know, give me a better record than 1989. Like she, she is as famous as she is because she, well, obviously had a lot of privilege. But beyond that, she can take... An, uh, an emotion, an experience, a feeling, and tell the story of it so vividly, um, you know, in such a concrete way that I think that it's almost like Bruce Springsteen a little bit. Like, it's just very clear. Um, so I don't think she gets enough credit for that. However, big however, watching this documentary was so depressing because it seemed like this was... Taylor Swift trying to vindicate herself for, I don't know, staying out of politics before it was a little too late, or feeling like her last record wasn't good, or feeling like she was made to be a victim by Kanye West, and it just, wow, like, it just did not come across at all. It definitely made her seem a little sad, like out of touch and sad. Um which is why I instantly went to her chart, like I do with everything and and wanted to see like what's going on in her life and like why why is this coming out like this? And you know, for those of us that do like her music, like is there another 1989 ever on the way? Like what can we learn about why this documentary didn't go well? Why the message didn't come across and um what does it say about her as person? Um, so sadly, we don't have a good birth time for Miss Swift. Um, Taylor, if you ever want a reading, I can help with that. Um, I think that, so there's two birth times online, neither of which is verified, but I think the one that has her ascendant in late Capricorn um, would make perfect sense, because ultimately, she's a business person and that totally shows in in the documentary and i mean that in the most positive regard i think you know either way she's got her mercury saturn uranus and neptune all in capricorn being activated by the current sort of slate of planets there and eclipses and that sign too so it's like astrologically right now the way she communicates the way she works how she reinvents herself and what she believes herself to be are all on the table especially in this documentary so at any rate she just wrapped up a Saturn return which I think is very relevant to this you know I think this is kind of a coming of age story for her and Saturn returns can be There's kind of two kinds of Sodom returns. Like, I think if your life has been going in the quote-unquote right direction, I'm going to talk with the Witcher about fate and destiny, and do you have a purpose or whatever. I think you define your own purpose. But if you've been disciplined, if you've been going down a path that is, like, for your highest good, I think your Sodom return will be very hard. It'll be challenging. But if you commit to structure um and commit to the hard work you will come out on the other end better um but if i think i think that if you are somehow missing the mark your saturn return can be a very sad and disappointing time and i think the time that this was filmed would have been the time during her saturn return and it's her grappling with issues of i've spent all this time working you know saturn in capricorn is uh, the person who overworks who puts work is their god. Work is ahead of everything. And she talks about being on the stage at the Grammys and thinking, I don't even have anybody that I could call after this, which I thought was the most um, depressing thing. I think that's Saturn and Capricorn at its kind of darkest. Um, But fortunately, it seems like throughout the course of filming this, she's learned that that's not what she wants. She wants to have relationships. Um, She wants to actually have connection in her life, which um, makes sense. So Saturn moved into Aquarius and is now like right on top of her Venus. So she's dealing with all these issues of worthiness. Like, does she deserve the millions she has when she didn't do enough to fight during the 2016 election cycle? Will she age out of her profession? Um, Does she have any more albums left in her? You know, and I think she talks very candidly about feeling unworthy through... Um, her own struggles with eating disorders, or just the horrible things that management have have told her about um, women in the professional world, that there is a ticking time limit on um, a woman's profession um, and how much success you can have. And I can only hope that um, she'll come to learn that there's no time limit on a woman's success. Like, If you're working hard and you are putting yourself out there in a way that is true to you, there is absolutely no limit on what you can accomplish with dedication, no matter what a manager says, no matter what anybody says about you. And that goes for anybody listening to you, saying that to you. Um, So, you know, I, I think that as she has her sign and return continue from July 1st when um Saturn goes back into Capricorn and then through to December um 17th when it'll go back on her Venus I think some of the stuff that she's grappling with in the documentary will become clearer and she'll be able to deal with it a little bit better uh hopefully have some answers um I was really intrigued by the fact that she has an unaspected sun. On this podcast, we talk a lot about things being unaspected. So that's when a planet in a chart is not making any aspects at all. It's like a singleton. It's all there by itself. So in, it, it's clear in what she says is that she doesn't really know how to connect to her own sense of identity. It's like she seems adrift out at sea, after having all these people direct her life for so long, like if everything plans everything for you and says, okay, like this is your new reinvention, this is this, it can be hard to, I imagine like take ownership of that. Um, And and I think a lot of times with unaspected things, people can project onto that and try to mold you. So I think that is definitely where that comes from too. Um, Also, if the documentary reveals anything about Taylor. It's that she's an amazing director who works fucking hard and knows her craft. Um, she has this dominant Mars in Scorpio um, with Pluto pretty close by. So she has a ton of raw power to work with. And I think it really shows up when you see her record that duet with Brenda Neary from Panic at the Disco um, and the way she works with her producers. Like, she did not come to play around. She knows exactly what she wants. Um, and, and is completely unafraid to not just ask for it, but demand it. And it seems like that's where she's, how she's gotten to where she is. I'm actually really excited. I think once Pluto goes into Aquarius in um, 2023, 2024, um, it's going to go right on top of her Venus. And I really hope that whatever transformation or metamorphosis she undergoes then will lead to another amazing, amazing uh, album from her. We'll see. That's like truly my guilty pleasure, but there are no guilty pleasures, so yeah. All right, this is the last show that I wanted to talk about, and I'm only a few episodes in, but I still wanted to bring it up because I think it's very important for the bad astrologers audience, um, who is just so connected to the pulse of um, trends and spirituality, and seeing through the bullshit there, like. If our patrons and the people who listen have anything in common it's that, you know, no platitudes will do, like cutting through the noise of what is currently on offer in the mystical world, um, whether it's in astrology, in tarot, witchcraft, um, doesn't really matter. Like, that's the bottom line. And that's why I wanted to have this podcast in the first place. Um, And I think that the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina does that just incredibly well um so I almost didn't want to watch it and my husband was actually the one that asked uh, to watch it because I think his friend was like the show is awesome they're really into metal and stuff so like I don't know I guess they saw goatheads and were like this is great um I'm kidding of course but so I, I'm really like allergic to shows that glamorize high school and like star 25 year olds because it just Something about that feels, like, slimy and disingenuous, but as soon as I watch this, this is different. Like, somebody who wrote this show, I don't know who they are, but I'd love to chat with them, um, knows about the witchcraft trend. So, um, we've talked about the astrology boom plenty, but before the astrology boom, there was the witchcraft boom, and it happened circa 2016, um largely because hex trump really it was starting before that i think crystals are starting to get really popular um astrology was starting to grow in popularity along with tarot cards um it was very much uh, witchcraft as a, an aesthetic was a thing but i think that um hex trump pushed it into the forefront um you check out the witch moment podcast the very first uh, full-length episode we ever did talks about the witchcraft boom um I actually loved the witchcraft boom because after so many years of kind of practicing in secret and having to navigate that, um, it felt really good to be recognized. And I was thrilled to, you know, have a platform to connect with people um, in an honest kind of way. Like I, you know, there were people doing it for aesthetic. I think there was that meme of like the witch starter pack with like, you got to get a floppy brimmed black hat and you got to wear a choker and you got to wear a rose quartz on your necklace. And there was a lot of that, Um, you know, but I think that there was good that came out of it. I think it got people's minds open to the fact that there are other ways to do spirituality besides what is prescribed. I think the problem came in when witchcraft started to be prescriptive in and of itself. And I know, I mean, there's tons of dating back all the way to Gardnerian Wicca and all of that. that, I mean, witchcraft, people have been trying to prescribe how you should do things. If there's a religion or a spiritual practice, there's somebody out there trying to prescribe how you should do it. But it was so interesting to see, um, you know, the sort of factions form um, and and the hypocrisies kind of go on. But I think that the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina did this incredible job of satirizing, um, what came out of the witchcraft boom, while also paying it service, like, they did it justice, you know, like, watching it, it was aesthetically everything I would have wanted, it was funny, it was smart, the references were right on point, um, but also, I think it's Aunt Zelda who is played by... Zelda or Hilda is played by uh, Miranda Otto, who was Eowyn in Lord of the Rings. So I was like, already... I was like, I'm instantly bought in. I gotta watch this. I'm so ready. Um, but she is like a, a witchcraft fundamentalist, right? And they kind of like partner the language of witchcraft with that of like having to be baptized into the... Um, Church of the Dark Lord and all of this. And I thought it was just an incredibly witty and and wise way to um, point out the way things have (laughs) gone within that. Um, And Kiernan Shipka is lovely. Like, I love her performance in this. I was already a fan of hers from Mad Men, which I thought was terrific. Um, But I looked at her chart and she is a Scorpio. Love it that she's a Scorpio with Mercury retrograde in that sign too. So it seems like she... I mean she's already a little bit magical by nature like she's a little bit psychic uh, already um but she seems well placed to be the witch queen of the pluto and sagittarius generation i'm not sure i'll have to watch the rest i can't speak to the entire series but from what i've seen it's terrific and honestly the lipstick i need it <laughs> All right. I cannot believe that I have been talking with you guys about um, Netflix for an hour, but I guess that's the not trying to find good things in a pandemic. But uh, if there was to be a good thing, it's that um, I've found myself connecting more with people, um, finding more opportunities to just lay everything out there and experience things together. And I hope that you had fun experiencing my uh, Netflix queue and astrology rabbit hole with me. Um, Good luck with the Venus retrograde next month and see you next time.